everyone, and welcome to another Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about games and game design. And I'm here, me, Cat. Cat? Yeah, me. Whoa. You. I am the baby in the titular cradle. It is me. Wah. Kathleen is here to babysit. I am. Nick is here to sneak me sweets after bedtime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. And I am here, baby cat, because I want to grow up. I don't want to be a baby forever. I want to grow up and go see R-rated movies and get drunk. Yeah. I would say you don't want to be a Toys R Us kid, but that doesn't exist anymore. Well, not since Jeffrey got arrested. <sighs> Legalize it, kids. Legalize it. Legalize it. We are talking today about... Character advancement. We're talking about the means by which your baby TTRPG character grows into an adult that does not have to sneak into R-rated movies. Does not have to sneak candy. You can just buy it. You can just buy it. Or maybe not, Reddit. depending on how the stat system works. Maybe you can just eat candy forever and it keeps on giving you plus one. Well... That might be the case, but eventually you have to take into account the value of the plus one versus the value of eating way too many M&Ms. <sighs> so they don't tell you about getting old, kids, is it turns out you can eat too many M&Ms. Nick. Nick, that's a bummer. Nick. Hey, Nick. <laughs> hey, Nick, that's a bummer. <laughs> well, as long as you don't eat too many M&Ms, it's not a bummer. Hmm. But I like M&Ms. That's beside the point. Well, but then maybe you need, uh, as as you grow up, then you, you need to, I don't know, like class change or, or multi-class to somebody who can eat a bunch of M&Ms. I wish there I could do go. that. There we go. So character advancement is the means by which your character grows and changes over the course of a long-term play experience. So you're not necessarily going to be using these kinds of mechanics in one-shots or even in games that are built for one-shots like Laser's Feelings. Instead, you're going to be using it for games like Heroic Chord or Dungeon Dragon or Pathfinder. You know, long-term games that are meant to tell big adventure stories. Mm-hmm. Whether there's levels or not. Yeah. Because it's, it's no fun to just always do the same thing, always. It's no fun. It's no fun if the point of the game is indeed to grow and change. Now, I don't. maybe you want to play chess, which, okay, you can do different things in chess, but the only character advancement in that game, you know, is you, the player. Uh, the, and I guess the pawn. Okay, that's, you know, I've, I've yeah. shot myself in the foot. The pawns can yeah. upgrade. So, you know, there's even character advancement in chess. Yeah, that's right. Nick played the chess card and it backfired. <laughs> needlessly adversarial today. <laughs> I feel like we should define what this conversation is about. Like, what is character advancement? What are some of the sort of ways that it happens? Because character advancement sort of broadly refers to how your character develops over the course of an RPG campaign. And often, I think that we are probably going to see this as being synonymous with your character becoming more powerful. Mm. And that happens 
Does that happen primarily mechanically? I think of it as happening primarily mechanically. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong to say that. Uh, I don't think it's universally mechanically, but I'd agree that primarily is correct. Certainly in the D&Ds, it is almost entirely mechanical. Mm. And so that's going to look like things like gaining experience points to level up or getting a cool axe or getting abilities that you get later. But there's generally this idea of you starting someplace less powerful and getting more and more powerful as your character grows up, like you just said. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're not strictly speaking worried about getting more powerful, it is also about the ways in which your character changes over the course of a campaign. Maybe you get abilities that change your strategies or the way you interact with the mechanics. And advancing is a way to not only reward players by giving them the feeling of becoming more powerful, but it's also a way to keep gameplay from getting stale by introducing new abilities and even new mechanics that players can play with once they've kind of mastered or had time to get used to base ones. So the reason that we're talking about character advancement today is because... Nick wanted to. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, what brought you to this door? Yeah, so I have been working on an unsanctioned Heroic Chord expansion. Did not sanction it. This is absolutely unsanctioned. You know, we're, we're getting this uh, underground. Uh, the cease and desist will be coming soon. You did not even ask me to sanction it. It'll be out there where we're going underground. But one of the things I noticed is I was, you know, I'm making three new rangers for it. Um, and obviously as a game with character progression, I was looking at seasonal abilities to give to the new Rangers. And I was looking at cool things to do for season five. And I was putting down some powerful stuff. And then I realized for one of them, one of their season five abilities was basically you can turn into a werewolf. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If this is something that the character can do, wouldn't the person playing it want to do that a lot sooner? Because, like, that'd be pretty cool. And so that then got me thinking, even if this ability is powerful, should it come late or should you put it early because that's what people want? I'm not going to say that everybody playing TTRPGs wants to be a werewolf, but if you're looking at classes and one of them is, hey, you get to turn into a werewolf, if that's something that you're looking for, then you're probably not going to want to spend a ton of time getting there. I mean, there's you could always play Werewolf the game. You start at level one there. But that also got me thinking then, you know, where do you put abilities like that? Do you want to put big, powerful abilities late? Because obviously, you know, the character should be more powerful. Or do you want to say, no, this is part of this this design is the character gets this powerful thing and that is how they play. Like that is what you come to this class or ranger or, you know, ability, whatever. Like you come to that because this is where you're going. Yeah. That's a big problem that Dungeon Dragon has giving really flashy and interesting abilities to like level 20 capstones. And then just like, now what? Mm hmm. This is actually something that I kind of famously ran headlong into when I was last in Portland. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So the way that this happened is that we were hanging out on Nick's couch and Kat out loud declares, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, shit. Because I had just come to the realization the way it used to work in an older version of Heroic Chord, if you haven't read the older version, is that some classes started with an assist pool and some got them later on. And I realized that, well, no, it would be more fun for everyone to start with them. These are like defining abilities. Everyone should get them from the jump. Mm-hmm. And then I realized how much work I had made for myself. Cursed mm-hmm. aloud. And so, yeah, I've absolutely run into the dilemma you're describing, Nick, where it's like, is this interesting enough that I want it to be foundational or is this kind of powerful enough that I want it to be earned? Yeah. And for me also, I, I think the other sort of half of that going into the power scale is obviously, you know, if you do want something really cool, you want it to be really powerful. So you don't want level one characters to have it, but it is a super cool thing that people are going to want. You know, then you you run into the question of, well, okay, then where should it go? You know, if it's not going to be level one or it's not going to be level max, whatever max level is in your system, where along the curve should it be? And I think probably the most important thing about where to place things on the power curve is how long do you want the player to have it? How long should it take the player to get there? And are you okay with what all of those time frames map out to? If you, for instance, go, well, if most of the people who play my game are only going to be the first half of the level tree, you know, whether it's, you know, seasons one through three in Heroic Chord, whether it's levels one through 10 in the D&D or Pathfinder But I guess the main idea is just how much time do you want to let the players play with this thing that you're going to give them? And knowing when to say, no, you don't get to play with this all the time. You know, it's a special or powerful thing that you want to save as a reward, you know, like the M&Ms taste better when you're not eating them all the time or if there is like a little treat. Variety is the spice of life. That's a cliche that happens. They do say that. It's absolutely true. So yeah, where you put your abilities along your character progression is so challenging. And the number of times I wrote multiple abilities for Heroic Chord and was like, ah, nah, this belongs at season three. What's this doing at four? No. Or um, the other way around. I actually am going to be reworking a lot of the later season abilities because I've made mistakes that I need to fix. But hopefully I can come up with three season five abilities for every class instead of two. But I also need to explicitly write rules for levels higher than five. Oh, okay. Because I don't want five to be cap, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to write anything past five. Right. That's part of why the rules say you can take something from any previous season. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically, you could keep playing until you had all your classes abilities. But I didn't make that explicit in the rules text. That'd be pretty impressive. I think that a lot of humans go through their lives without learning like 20 some odd lessons about themselves. 
I learn lessons about myself every day. <laughs> but, but are I, they are they I'm chaotic? Are they seasonal defining lessons? Probably. Are these lessons you would learn at the end of Act One in Legend of Dragoon? No. <laughs> Look, you can only reveal who the Emperor is a couple of times. <sighs> I guess. Speaking of Legend of Dragoon, I am writing a game that is uh, based in Harmony Drive, and it is inspired by the backstory to Legend of Dragoon, the Dragon Campaign, for those who are familiar with a semi-obscure PSX RPG, and Monster Hunter. And this game is not going to have levels. It's not going to have advancement in that way. I don't have to write later abilities. I do. But I don't have to write them on classes. Because my basic plan for this game is that you kill giant monsters to obtain assist pools. Basically, is how it's going to work mechanically. So if you want new abilities, just go kill a different giant monster. So the progression is going to be very monster hunter in that regard where there are not levels. You want to get stronger, kill more monsters. Kill stronger monsters that give you stronger abilities. That's the plan. And I'm very excited to see how that works out because this will be my first time writing something that's that um, that mode, I guess, yeah. of advancement. It's a really interesting advancement because it goes sort of outside of the general flow of character advancement if we're going to look at very traditional things, you know, like experience points, that sort of thing. Even something like Heroic Chord where, you know, you have the season, you learn your lesson, and you move on. But with specifically these being, you know, tied to defeating these monsters, then the question obviously then becomes is, how much time can we, the characters in the story, have to go do this? It's a very interesting look at player-driven advancement. And that's exactly what I'm gunning for. My hope is that players will look at these pulses, which is what they're called, and say to their GM, I want this ability. I want us to hunt this one. And that's going to help the GM figure out what bosses to put next, basically, because these are going to be big boss fights. And take some of the pressure off them to always decide what the next opponent is going to be, is my hope. We'll see how that works. Because heaven knows I've been wrong before. But I think that advancement is so key to how people pick classes. Yeah. A lot of people look at what's further down the road when they're picking a character class or job or a species even. And uh, I wanted to kind of redefine what that meant. But it does also mean that, like, when you're writing these abilities, yeah, you do kind of have to be a little flashy. But how flashy is too flashy and when is that level of flashiness appropriate is an interesting question. One thing to remember about character advancement, which can sometimes get forgotten in the shuffle of things, is that in a tabletop RPG, character advancement isn't just... I'm going to get more powerful. It is where is my character going to go from a story perspective? Mm -hmm. You know, like if, for instance, you had a character class that could, you know, they start off as just like a random sword, and they could become, you know, a holy avenger 
or a dark warrior. Well, that's the, like that's a story choice. Mm-hmm. A lot of what three point five and four e advancement centered around the idea of you getting helpers and minions, and one of the paths for being a fighter was to essentially become some sort of minor duke or whatever. Mm. Yeah, you have those sorts of, you know, like, this is not just going to ramp up how powerful you are, but is is going to determine a little bit where your character's story is going. Yeah. Or it could, you know, say where your character isn't going. Maybe your character doesn't want to be a duke, or they have a reason to, you know, become the dark warrior that isn't just because they hate chaos and they're totally going to kick its ass. And... Actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought up 3.5 because 3.5 Dungeon Dragon had something that I think is really super interesting to the discussion of character advancement, which is prestige classes. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of times when you set out in 3.5 playing a level one character with the notion that you were going to become a dragon disciple or an arcane archer or another bad one that no one used. <laughs> I loved playing Dragon Disciples Fight Me. <laughs> like, it's such a flavorful prestige class. I know it's not good, but it's so interesting. So you'd spend these lower levels almost just like working, <laughs> like not really playing your character so much as just like collecting needed prerequisites to hit a prestige class later on and get the flashy abilities, which I don't think was how D&D wanted that to play. But it was very modeled on this idea that you could be a random cell sword who later became a holy adventurer or a dark knight. I think uh, character advancement is necessarily, we're going to end up talking about D&D a lot today. Uh, we've already done it. But it's just kind of so central to the way in which people approach D&D and have for kind of a very long time. And there are other games where advancement is less central. You look at a PBTA game and advancement is built into it. You can take character advancements, but acquisition of new powers and abilities and items is not really as core to the experience as like expressing a story with a PBTA game. And I'm going to hot take here. Love it when you do that. I think that in Powered by the Apocalypse games and most playbook-based games, and I'd argue even Heroic Chord, feel mechanically complete right out of the box. Yeah. Like you are playing a ranger in Heroic Chord and you feel like you can do stuff. If you're playing a level one wizard in Dungeons and Dragons... It feels like you don't have the whole character yet. Absolutely. And I think that's why there's so much focus on what's further down the road is because lower levels are very unsatisfying in that game. <laughs> like, I've got a group that I play with locally and we always start characters at level four because why bother? <laughs> like, why bother with anything before then? And... The result is that people are building characters while looking forward at possibilities, which is interesting in its own way. But you're absolutely right that the character as it stands is not really complete or even, depending on the class, very satisfying to play. Low-level druids are heartbreaking. 
3.5. Is this a, your druid is not done yet. Needs more time in the oven. It's not finished cooking. Put it back. Yeah, I think actually a lot of that sentiment is kind of why I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit, because when do you give the player what they want? You know, that was kind of my initial uh, jumping off point was, you know, giving this transformation ability to one of these rangers much earlier because, yeah, being the level one scrub lord sucks. And it's weird that, especially in the newest D&D, most classes don't actually kind of turn into what they are until level three. It's a little weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Kathleen hit the nail directly upon the head when she talked about whether or not it feels mechanically complete. Because I think that was my struggle with the assist pools in Heroic Chord. I realized that this was an entire game mechanic that many people would never see. And I was not uh, okay with that. And so I think, yeah, you need to consider whether or not your flashy ability is a matter of completeness. And of course, that varies in tone, well, with the tone of your game. Shadow of the Demon Lord is not going to have flashy, powerful abilities out the gate because it is a grim and gritty dark fantasy. And that's not the tone. But at the same time, it also has one of the best character advancement systems I've ever seen. So tell us a little bit about it. Shadow of the Demon Lord is like so not my aesthetic and yet I adore it. Basically, what happens is you have your race, you have your class. There are 10 levels. You level at the end of a session. On levels one, three, five, and seven, you gain racial abilities. On levels two, four, six, you gain class abilities. And then you have like second a secondary class that you take for the later slots. So it's kind of like a prestige class. Okay. But basically it's just this interlacing of the different aspects of your character that just happens one at a time after every session. And they just mesh together cleanly. And I just think that's genius. I really do. <laughs> yeah. And actually that brings up a very interesting point that I don't know if I was originally thinking this, but I certainly am now. Character progression is related to the pacing of your game, you know, intrinsically. 100%. Yeah. And so then you have to ask yourself, you know, how fast paced is this? You know, with Shadow of the Demon Lord, you know, if you're expecting to go from, you know, level one to max level, and that's going to be the chunk of a campaign, well, that's 10 sessions. And assuming once a week, I mean, maybe you're doing more or less, but if we assume once a week, that's two and a half months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, you know, Compared to, obviously, Heroic Card, which we've been doing now for a couple of years, or the D&Ds or anything else like that, that's pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not, you know, one shot, but that's pretty fast. Yeah. And it also does something very beautiful and special, which is milestone leveling, which I suppose isn't that special because it's very in vogue these days. And I agree entirely. Obviously, Heroic Card has milestone leveling in it. I just like milestone leveling. I feel like it gives the players, and specifically the GM, again, a control over the pace. Just like, you know what? An important enough thing has happened. Levels. And I find that so much more narratively satisfying 
than just getting new abilities when the numbers hit the right point because you've chopped enough kobolds or failed enough rolls and masks. Yeah, that's the big thing that I really like about milestone leveling is it dictates the pace so much better from a story perspective Mm. than XP leveling or that sort of thing. Just because XP leveling then... Either you all sit there and just assume that you're going to get enough stats to level up, or you go out of your way to basically, you know, pick fights or look for trouble, which is a, you know, that's a very old chestnut in the DTRPG community. You know, it, uh, you look like a bag of XP to me, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mechanically, it also, it, again, it incentivizes risk-taking, which is... Very interesting, but if you're playing a game like, for instance, Heroic Chord, where the players are not ostensibly crazy murder hobos, then you kind of don't want to encourage that sort of real reckless behavior among the players because, you know, it's more important that we get through the lesson that we have these character relationship growth moments and that sort of thing. Like, that's a lot more what Heroic Chord is about. Then just, you know, I we're going to find more loot to get better swords to kill bigger monsters to find more loot. That also brings us to something that we alluded to in the intro that I'd like to talk about, which is loot. You'll recall from the Cat's Cradle, the magic sword, that I love it. That I love it? Yeah. Magic swords are pretty cool. I love loot. Uh, one of my favorite loot times was... I did the Christmas special for our Dungeon Dragon campaign. And so the party did this weird Tower of Yuletide challenges. But I also asked everyone to find a magic item worth a thousand GP or less. And that's going to be a Christmas gift for someone else's character. Oh, that's cute. It was cute. My bard got a billowing cape that made him look very impressive, which he loved a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so... It was just really wholesome and fun for us to come up with Christmas presents for each other's characters. And as much shade as I throw at Dungeon Dragon for the loot grind that is a central mechanic of its design, when you find the right magic item, it's just fun. (laughs) It's just good. And like that is advancement. It's something that changes the way your character plays or makes them more powerful. Yeah, it gives you, and I guess kind of what all character advancement boils down to is it gives the characters more options. It gives them more things to do. Even if it's just number to go up, well, that means then that you can go fight different, more powerful monsters, which is something different. You know, if you're, you go from fighting rodents of unusual size to fighting, I don't know, bears of unusual size, to dragons of unusual size, to, like, the godchild of unusual size. Which I think is how Dungeons & Dragons campaigns generally work. Certainly the, uh, I, that was the sort of feeling I got from, like, the old 2E kind of stuff. It's how the monster manual is structured anyway. Yeah. Those jokes aside, though, that, yeah, the sort of central thing that you want to really focus on when you're doing character advancement is what new options are the characters going to get? What is advancement going to let them do? And if you are a very crunch-heavy mechanics game, then maybe advancement is just you can fight cooler, better things. You punch the goblin harder, so you can punch twice as many goblins. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you probably shouldn't punch too many goblins, you know. 
punch them. They're doing their best. They are doing their best. Don't hit them. Don't hit them. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, but don't hit them. <laughs> they are doing their best. <laughs> Let's see. So we've, we've talked a little bit about when characters level and what that does to your, uh, to your pace and to your play style. We've talked a little bit about how characters level, what changes as characters grow. And we've talked a little bit about the ratio, I suppose, if I'm going to clumsily try to get my words around this concept, the ratio of realized to unrealized potential in a character build, how much weight is put on potential future gains versus what a character starts out the gate with and how that can drive home your game's themes and design and style. Yeah, as much as we would love to assume that everybody who plays a game that we make is going to play the whole thing all the way through, it's like, that's that's unfortunately not realistic. You know, it's maybe if I was in high school again and I could game for eight hours at a time without completely going insane, I would think, yeah, I'm going to make a game where, the, you know, each step of the way is going to be just as important. And it's like, you know, now that I'm, it's been a very long time since I've been in high school. It's like, I think it's neat looking at some of the higher level things in D&D. I do not care about most level 20 abilities in D&D because you're either going to be playing in a campaign that starts at level one and will probably go to about level nine, or you're going to start at level 20. Yeah, the only times that I've personally played with very high level Dungeons and Dragons abilities are either in video games or in campaigns where we explicitly started at high level. Yeah. The old epic level campaign. We've all tried it. It's a good time. No, I'm in fact currently playing in one now. Oh. It's a little much when you've not really played D&D for a long time. It was maybe a bit much to jump in at like, oh God, when <laughs> we started. So this was a 4E campaign and we started at like, what, like level 24 or something like that. What? There's wow. a lot of abilities in D&D 4Ed. 4Ed has so many abilities in it. Wow. I love 4th Ed. Wow. That's a big undertaking. I I have an idea. I have a thought. I have a, a thought in my in my whittle headsy. My will brain has had a thought. What if you didn't make characters mechanically complete out the gate, but you had solid benchmark levels at which a new mechanic was introduced in every class? So something kind of Shadow of the Demon Lord where everything is regimented to slot together in the same way and it's decided that things happen at specific levels. But like maybe every character in season two gets an ability to transform into something. My initial reaction is that this is how a lot of video games structure their power curves. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to say that sounds almost like we're going for sort of a like the quote unquote ideal character progression but yeah in a tabletop game like character progression is a little messier than it is in say like a video game where yeah in a video game you can assume that if your game takes you know if we're going to assume it's an rpg if your game takes 20 hours to beat and you're designing your game for most people to be able to complete it then you know saying yeah you're not going to be a full character at level one is fine because that your progression is taking into account the fact that the player is going to 
have the time to get to the milestones. But the great thing about TTRPGs is that, as we've alluded to a couple times this episode, you don't have to start at level one. You don't. So you can sit down to that game and be like, okay, we're playing this, but I've got to be honest with you. I think we're all going to turn into monsters. So let's just start at level two. Mm -hmm. That's a power that TTRPGs have that video games don't. Is the ability to play an epic level campaign or a level two campaign. Yeah. I guess then the, the real question is, how much do you want to bake in that sort of the players can start at whatever level they want into your game? You know, if you are looking at putting a system out there and it, you know, it gets out there and people, you know, get it, well, you aren't going to always be there to sort of like steer it in the direction. So you have to think, okay, I'll need to put in some either heavily implied or just explicit rules to, yeah, here's what you can do if you want to start here. Here's what you do if you want to, you know, if everybody wants to be an epic wizard summoning angels or barbarian kings, then, you know, you should probably put in at least a little blurb saying, hey, if you want to be a barbarian king and his angel summoning wizard, here's what you do. Yeah. And that's, I actually added that to a recent version of Heroic Chord. I hammered those rules out relatively recently, but it's important, I think. I guess my last big thing about character progression is... If this is going to be a very, like, mechanically powerful thing, I would say don't be afraid to put powerful but kind of mechanically simple things at the end of the curve. Especially if the end of the curve the players are not going to spend a lot of time on. Mm. Which, again, was sort of the whole crux of this mm. thing, is I put the super interesting thing at the very end of the curve, and it's like, well, okay, but like, how long are you going to be at season five? No, that makes a lot of sense. Give a big tasty treat at the end, but give something that you want to just like play with and mess around with when they're really going to get to sink their teeth into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas for another one of the Rangers, one of their season five abilities is basically they can scatter one to use sensitivity for anything, which is incredibly powerful, but really simple. Mm hmm. You know, like that, that basically says that I can be at my best to do anything I want if I'm going to pay a little bit of a price for it, which again is numbers wise very mechanically powerful. But I wouldn't put that earlier in progression. Yeah. Because it's powerful but simple. You know, it's something that when you get to season five, if you want to feel like, you know, you are a much more powerful individual in this world, it's something that you can grab and be like, yeah, that's cool. I have this very obvious, like, I am a, a bigger badass than I used to be without going, oh, well, boy, I certainly wish I had this, you know, a year and a half ago because this is really cool. It's like, I don't think you're going to feel especially like you're missing out on a power like that at high level. Whereas I think if you put the, you can turn into a werewolf at, at max level, people are going to go like, oh, well, okay, but that's rad. Why can't I do that now? Yeah. Yeah. I think... One of the best things you can do if you're designing an advancement system is determine what you want play to look like and anything that changes that or puts an interesting twist on that, consider front loading. Yeah, put the cool stuff either really soon or, you know, hey, I would say 
as just sort of a baseline for everybody out there. And obviously, you know, your mileage may vary. But one thing that I've gotten a feel for doing some work, you know, with Heroic Core and doing some of my own stuff is that the super big character change should come probably halfway through character progression. Because mm. that way then, if it's supposed to be like, this is your big turning point, then you still get half of all of your time with it without feeling like, okay, cool, we're max level. I got my cool power. Okay, we had three sessions to campaign over. Campaign over. It's all about time management is really what it boils down to. Oh no, we've gotten boring all of a sudden. Listener, campaign over and episode over. What I tell you, it's all about time management. <laughs> Let us know how your time management is. No, don't do that. That'll just bum us out. <laughs> don't do that. Brag about how much better you are at time management than us. <laughs> Boast about meeting your deadlines without doing everything last minute. Why not? Talk about your complex journaling system <laughs> on Twitter by tweeting us at PeachGardenRPGs. If you really want to rub salt in the wound, you can fill out the form on the PeachGardenGames.com website and email me. And if you want to show off your character progression and how deep your pockets are now that you're max level, you could give us some of that gold. Uh, we do have a Patreon and a Kofi that you can find on our website. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. What does a barbarian war criminal, an undead cultist, a pyromaniac goblin, a hot topic reject, and a bard whose family is very, very cursed all have in common? Well, that's very simple. They're all our main cast. We are Goblets and Gays, a mostly Pathfinder 2E podcast set in a homebrew world. If Pathfinder isn't your thing, we have all sorts of other awesome games for you to enjoy. Join us every Wednesday for episodes of our main campaign, Blood of Kings, as these chaotic gays attempt to locate some missing royalty. Don't forget to follow us on all social media channels at Goblets and Gays to stay up to date with our amazing projects. And remember to eat your vegetables.